You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Well, welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin. And today, man, am I happy to say that this is our last episode of 2020. I don't know anyone would say that they'd like to live this year over, you know, at least not under the same condition. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously, if we can get a do over and not have, you know, this COVID mumbo jumbo, uh, sure, I'd, I'd like to relive the year over. Right. But if we had to do it under the same conditions, no way, no way in hell. Uh, I have to say, though, that that the year is ending on a high note uh, for me anyway. And and it's really it has to do with you and and all of you who have shown support for my friend Chris. As I mentioned on the last episode, he is facing the fight of his life. He's exhausted his savings uh, along with his fiance, Aaron, and and he's in need. So so you know my brother and I started this, you know, GoFundMe campaign to help him offset his his costs, the expenses of his medication. Uh, and in the last week, in the last week we raised over $8,000 for him. And that really truly warms my heart. I know he's touched by it. I'm touched by it as well. I, I, you know, the generosity is, um, it's jaw dropping. And, you know, we, we've been primarily, you know, promoting this campaign over social media and it's just reassuring to see how, you know, social media can be used for good and not just arguing about politics. And that's a whole other story. Um, I won't even go on Twitter anymore. It's just, just, just a nightmare. It's people yelling at each other. You know, Twitter is like one long episode of the Morton Downey Jr. show. You remember that from from back in the day. But I, I want to point out what really stood out to me uh, during this campaign with Chris. And we're not over yet. You know, we still have a ways to go to help him out. But what really stood out to me were the people who, you know, pardon the pun, uh, pardon the phrase, rather, came out of the woodwork to support him. Now, many of them go way back to our high school days. And some of the most generous donors were people who weren't really that close to him. Certainly people that he wouldn't think were that close to him. I, I know that for a fact. Uh, you know, Chris and I and Jim, my, my brother, who I've mentioned before, you know, we, we weren't really part of the popular crowd in high school or in grammar school. And, and to see some of those names of high value donors, I mean, I'm talking people who who donated over a thousand dollars. It really, you know, really made me stand still. You know, and if you're listening, I, I can't really thank you enough. You know, any of you who are listening who donated to this uh, campaign, I can't thank you enough. Your generosity will not only help Chris, right, but it served to really break through the darkness that's been hanging around most of this year. So really, thank you all very much. Now, when thinking about this experience, I started having some flashbacks to my childhood. As I said, you know, I've known Chris uh for a very long time, going back to uh, fourth grade. And, and you know, as I mentioned before, you know, we weren't really part of the popular crowd, right? That's probably an understatement. Um, you know, my, my brother and I, for context, we, we moved to Connecticut uh, 
from Florida in fourth grade. And we found ourselves not only in a completely different school, but in a completely different culture. Stanford, Connecticut was nothing like Plantation, Florida. We lived, you know, in a very modest town back in Florida. And not to say that Stanford is New Canaan, <laughs> you know, or Darien or Greenwich. It's not. I mean, Stanford itself is a modest town, but but people, you know, didn't give anyone grief when we lived in Florida. You know, people didn't give anyone grief over what they were wearing, you know, wearing off-brand sneakers, for example. You know, I always wanted zips from Stride Right, but we had to settle for the Sears version in my house. All across America, an amazing phenomenon is happening. With zip sneakers, kids are getting dressed in a flash. I never had zips. I never had them. Always wanted them. I always thought they made you run fast. Like the kids in the commercial, they put on their zips and they would run fast. I never had them. That probably wasn't why I didn't run fast, though. I just wasn't uh, when I was younger. Not very good at running. Um, but getting back to Connecticut, you know, kids, when, when we moved up here, they did judge you based on the brands you wore. You know, that was tough. You know, we weren't poor by any stretch of the imagination. You know, we were, were solidly middle class. But, you know, my parents just chose not to spend their money on things like Reeboks or Nikes, you know, and compounding matters was the fact that my brother and I weren't, you know, what, what you might call skinny. You know, we didn't excel at sports. And when you mix all of that and, and, and together and are, are the new kids in school, it becomes a recipe for one thing. And, and that's unpopularity. And, you know, ki kids are mean, right? Ki kids are mean. You know, we got picked on. We got called names. You know, we didn't know how to stand up for ourselves, really. And that that bothered us. And I remember you know, getting together with my small group of friends back back in those days and, and, and just basically talking crap about the kids who seemed to have it all. And in short, I was resentful towards them. I was resentful of them. What's the word of towards? I don't know. I should know. I'm a writer, but I'm talking. I'm not I'm not writing this out anyway. Um, <laughs> and if I'm really being honest here, I, I was actually also you know, found myself later in life being resentful towards my twin brother. He was he was taller than me. He was a better student. He was definitely stronger. I always thought that people liked him more. You know, he had a very dry wit. Um, girls, I always thought, kind of gravitated towards him. Not that he ever actually capitalized on that at all. It's actually something I like to, you know, kind of uh, give him grief about every now and then. But, but you know, I, I always thought that that people liked him more. And, you know, to this day, when I run into people from high school, they'll always ask me how my brother's doing. And, and, and it used to really get under my skin. You know, I'd be thinking to myself, you know, I'm right here. You know, why are you asking me questions about Jim? Just, just another quick story. During the mother-son dance at my wedding, you know, she and I danced to this, this Perry Como song, which was called uh, Catch a Falling Star. And that, that song has a lot of family history for us. You know, my, my mother and father would play. It was actually on an 8-track. We had this old... Country Squire station wagon with an eight track and a CB in it. You know, it, uh, it you know, it was it was like our version of, of the General Lee from the Dukes of Hazard, although we weren't going uh, doing any stunts in the car. But the CB was damn cool. Anyway, we used to play this song on, on road trips to go visit my grandmother. And uh, so we I decided, hey, it'd be sentimental. Let's let's play that song for the mother son, mother son dance. And. <laughs> As, as we're dancing, my mother hears the song and realizes what's playing. She, she looks at me and stops and says, oh, Michael, where's Jimmy? I'm like, Jesus, God. I'm like, Mom, it's it's my wedding. You know, it's my wedding. It's my wedding day. Plus, Jimmy was at the bargaining sauce. Anyway, <laughs> back to those kids who uh, who used to pick on us. You know, over time, 
that kind of that that kind of behavior went away, right? So as we matured, particularly as we got into high school, you know, something changed. I I changed. I grew more confident. I, I found a love of running. I still wasn't running fast because I didn't have the zips. Um, had to settle for ASICs by that point in time. But uh, I, I also found a love of, of performing, and, and I, I embrace both of those to this day. Now I still run at least five days a week. Uh, I find a lot of, you know, I get a lot of uh, I get a lot of therapy out of that. To tell you the truth. Uh, and, I, and I also still love performing, although I haven't done it since March because <laughs> COVID bullshit. Um, anyway, so, so by the tail end of senior year, this is the point. By the tail end of senior year, you know, we had become friends with all those kids who used to give us grief. And it makes me sad, you know, that my kids didn't get to experience that this year. It was their senior year in high school. They graduated, you know, in, in the spring of 2020. They, they, they didn't really get to have that closure. Um, you know, they didn't get to have, you know, that, that time with, with friends to, to really come together as a group. And I love you, man. I guess the, the point I'm trying to make with all of this rambling is that I really don't harbor any resentment towards those people at all, you know, but, but I know some people who still do, you know, I know people who just can't get past how they felt wronged in the past. You know, it pains them just as much today as it did 30 friggin' years ago, you know, and, and that, that, that's sad, you know, and it makes me wonder, you know, are people just predisposed to be resentful? You know, do they actively look for things to feel hurt by, you know, are, are, are they just professional victims? You shouldn't hang me on a hook. My father hung me on a hook once, once. I mean, Danny Vermin just never, never lets anything go, you know, never. It always gets back to Johnny Dangerously for me. I don't know why. I just love that movie. Nick Capiello, if you're listening, I know you're going to give me hell for that one. But, uh, you know, Johnny Dangerously. Anyway, so <laughs> I know somebody who um, kind of similar to Resentful, right? I'm trying to make a comparison here. I know someone who's always walking into you know rooms and looking for things that are wrong. You know, he, he kind of walks around. And, you know, he spots the window that needs to be replaced or the wall that's just not the right color. You know, he can't see the 99 things that are perfect about the room, but rather he focuses on the one thing that isn't right. And if your mindset is always to be on the lookout for problems, then problems are what you're going to find. You know, I think this is called confirmation bias. And, and just like that person who's always looking for what's wrong in a room People who constantly look for things to be hurt by will find them, you know, even if they're not there. You know, they're, they're so closely identified with, with being the victim that they can't think of themselves as anything but. And, you know, as a result, they're rarely, if ever, truly happy. And I don't know where that comes from. You know, maybe it's childhood trauma or poor relationships with parents or lack of positive role models. You know, those are all probably good suspects, but... The more important question is, it's not where does it come from, but but how do we get over it? You know, and, and I have I have a couple of thoughts. You know, I mentioned before that I was resentful of my twin brother. And that, that was one of the reasons, you know, you know, I'd be talking to people and, and they'd ask about him. And, and you know, I, I had to really change the way I thought about that situation. You know, so, for example, as a reminder, I used to think, okay, here we go. They really aren't interested in me. All they want to do is talk about Jim. So they're going to ask about Jim. And everyone always liked him more anyway, right? 
And what that was, was my low self-esteem at the time talking. You know, I was giving that a, a, a louder voice in my head. You know, now I have to think about it. I have to think about it differently, you know, and I've been working on this for, for a while to think about, you know, that differently. You might remember that Jim and I are twins and, and people are, we're always used to seeing us together. So now the way I think about it is, Hey, you know, it's, it's just natural for them to think of Jim when they see me, because we were always together, you know, in childhood. And that's their frame of reference, you know, Mike and Jim, the twins, you know, I, and parts of me doesn't like, you know, being referred to as the twins, just as I know my kids don't like to be referred to as the triplets. But but, you know, that's just kind of a natural way. You know, we as human beings, we 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 try and simplify our world by grouping things together. And and Jim and I, to, to the day we die, are always going to be grouped together. And you know what? I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm cool with that. So now it, it's not me thinking that, hey, they like me less. It's just me understanding that, hey, when they see me they think of Jim, you know, it's just kind of a, uh, is it, is it a Pavlovian response? Is it some kind of, you know, conditioned response? Probably. I don't know. I'm not Columbo as, uh, Greg Alpern would say. Um, and I, and I do, as I mentioned, I see this happening with my kids. You know, if my son runs into somebody, they're going to ask how his sisters are and vice versa, you know, so that's, it's just, it's just the way the world is. And I've come to accept that, but, you know, another thing that helped me with the resentment I felt towards my brother was was when I saw him struggle with something. You know, he's he's recently divorced and, you know, he does have a strained relationship with one of his kids. And he opened up to me, you know, about that one morning. And, and in that moment, I didn't see him as my brother. That sounds funny, but I didn't see him as my brother. You know, I really came to see him as another human being. And really you know, that, that changed the way I viewed him that day. And, you know, I think oftentimes we have higher expectations for family members than we do for other people. You know, we're, we're more understanding of people who we don't share blood with or, or legal arrangements with. Um, you know, as an aside, I, my, my kids joke that whenever, you know, I call my wife and they hear, you know, how she responds when I call her, that she doesn't seem all that excited to, to talk to me. Um, however, when her friend Liz calls, she perks up. Hey! <laughs> hey! Now, I, I don't mean to pick on her. I know she loves me. I think she loves me. Uh, but it's just to underscore the point that familiarity sometimes breeds contempt. That's all I'm trying to say there. Um, so here's the thing. If you find that you yourself have some issues with resentment, I have a few thoughts. Number one. Challenge yourself to focus on the positive things in your life and not the negatives. Don't go around looking for things to be victimized by. Playing the victim is, is tiring not only for you, but for the other people around you. So try and see the world for its beauty and not its scars. The second thing is, you know, focus on your own self-esteem. So I, I do believe that there is an inverse relationship between resentment and self-esteem. When mine was low, you know, my resentment towards others was high. You know, when my self-esteem was low, my resentment towards others was high. And, and you know, I've worked on my self-esteem a lot over the years. And, and some of the ways, you know, you can do it uh, is to, you know, find things that you're good at and do those things. You know, focus on the things that you're good at, not the things that, that you struggle with or that you don't enjoy doing. Uh, another thing that helps is exercise, cardiovascular exercise. I'm addicted to it now. Um, you know, so exercise regularly. You know, really focus on your positives, spend time 
with people who make you happy versus people who drive you nuts. Um, and if you've had uh, point number three here, if you've had experiences that you can point to that negatively impacted your life, you know, particularly any of those in childhood, I urge that you, you know, seek professional help, you know, find somebody who can help you work through those issues. We all have them. There's no shame in doing this. And if, you, if you're not into the, the professional help thing, that's fine. But at least try and find a close friend or, or some kind of trusted, you know, advisor uh, to, you know, to open up to. You know, there, there's really no shame in vulnerability. You know, this is pot calling the kettle black because <laughs> I wasn't always the greatest at, at expressing my feelings. But but really, if you talk through things, you really do you know feel better. You know, Freud called it the talking cure. And uh, there's a lot of truth to that. So, And lastly, okay, point four, and then I'll shut up. If you have an issue with resentment towards a person, try to see them through a different lens. You know, if they're a family member, like the example I gave with my brother, try to, to, to step aside, you know, outside of that relationship and, and just see them as a fellow human being. And by doing so, you might be able to just be a bit more understanding towards them. And hopefully your relationship will improve. So uh, no author interview clips today. Uh, you got my voice and a couple of sound bites. But, um, you know, as always, I do want to thank you for listening to Uncorking a Story. This is our last episode of 2020. I thank you all for the support. If you know someone who you think might get some value out of this podcast, please share it with them. Also, please, you know, subscribe to it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and, you know, again, thanks for listening. Happy New Year. And uh, see you in 2020. Ah, oh, wait. No, no. See you in 2021. 2021. We're not doing 2020 over again. I think we established that up front. No more. No redos. We're moving forward through the windshield, not the rear view. Thanks for listening. <laughs>